Hey y'all, Cable here, and this week's podcast brought to you by Go Wild, the new social media app made for hunters, by hunters, and anglers, by the way. Uh, if you're tired of the hate that we experience on a regular basis on the normal social media platforms, then check out Go Wild. And here's something cool also. You can log time that you've invested listening to outdoor podcasts or hunting or fishing shows, and you can do that for my show right now. We're offering up, uh, we've partnered with Go Wild. We've got five Lone Star Beer camo dub seat coolers, and also we've got a great grand prize as well, which is a DS4K trail camera from Stealth Cam, the best trail camera on the market, and 100 bucks to the Go Wild store. It's free. All you have to do, log some time. Say that you've listened to the Lone Star Outdoors show. Do it on the Go Wild app, and you could be a winner. Check it out. Go Wild. Still doing time in a hockey-tonk prison. Still doing time where a man ain't forgiven. I put hard brick, whooped as no escape. Each morning I wake up and I find. Good morning, good morning, good morning, sweet, beautiful Texas and beyond. A little George Jones kicking things off for us on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. I'm Cable Smith. It is a treat to be here. Talking hunt, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks. Thanks for being here today. I do appreciate it uh, more than you know, because if y'all don't tune in, uh, what's the point of having a show, right? So, thank you, thank you. Uh, We've got a good one lined up for you today, Uh, but before I tell you what is going on, I want to uh, say congrats to my lovely bride of about almost 10 years now. Because I finally got Aaron to pull the trigger on an animal. She killed a jackrabbit out at Guns and Guitars 4 this past weekend. And uh, we had six hunters out there. I think uh, all hunting axis deer or all dad. Uh, one shot of black buck. But anyway, we did a little spotlighting on the last night. And uh, had Mark David Manders, Max, and Heather Stalling in the buggy with us. I think everyone got a little trigger time and put down a... Quite a few jackrabbits and a coon, which Mark David Manders ended up skinning right there at about 5 o'clock in the morning. Uh, So, (laughs) hell of a weekend with some of our favorite uh, country artists. And uh, Oh yeah, we had Mickey in the motor cars there Thursday, and then Max and Heather and Mark played Friday and Saturday night. But anyway, so proud of her uh, for finally pulling the damn trigger. Been trying and trying and trying for years. So we'll see if maybe that leads to a... a doe or maybe a turkey this fall, hopefully. Uh, but you got to start somewhere. So anyway, um, man, got a great show lined up for you. And off the top, there's a company out there that I truly believe is a threat to our way of life. And the reason why is because they are, well, they're making meat <laughs> in Petri dishes. That's right, lab-grown meat. And they are going to market this meat to you and I as an alternative to killing animals. So the thing is, is that they don't really care about killing animals. They want to make a dollar. Guarantee to you. So they're doing it on this guise of saving the environment, this, that, and the other. But if they do away with hunting, all the wildlife is going to lose. We all know that. So I will dive into that thoroughly coming up here in just a second as we discuss Memphis Meats. Uh, then Jim Shockey will join the show, our old buddy of the program, 
And Jim just opened up basically his life's work. It's called the Hand of Man Museum, and it's free to the general public. Uh, it's opened up in uh, BC where Jim lives. And so we'll discuss the new museum and the recent mountain lion attack. Yeah, if you haven't uh, seen, Jim posted on his uh, social media accounts, I think it was last week of June, that a mountain lion had tried to attack him. And, and you could see the clip of this lion. It's literally feet away from the muzzle of a gun. Uh, luckily, quick thinking, uh, just reaction really saved Jim uh, and his cameraman from serious injury, maybe even death, who knows. Uh, but uh, we'll hear that hairy tale uh, coming up here in just a bit. And then at the bottom of the hour, my good friend and uh, cameraman, Pierre Pins, a.k.a. Ozzy from Got the Shot Productions, will be here. I uh, just spent a week with Ozzy as he was following my every movement uh, in South Africa, documenting uh, every hunt and the full experience. And he's a great storyteller, so we'll get Ozzy to uh, talk about telling a story from behind the camera lens and and how to take uh, an appropriate trophy photo because I'm not getting away from Griffin Grins. I know the safari business isn't either, but there's a lot of work that goes into capturing that moment in uh, a respectful manner that, you know, you'd be proud to show in a, a non-hunter. Uh, so that's what's on the docket for today. It's going to be a good one. I guarantee you that. Uh, don't forget, by the way, that our uh, July slash August photo of the month contest is going on right now. We've got a Stealth Cam DS4K that we're giving away to the winner. So email your best hunting, fishing, outdoor photo to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com. Or you can post them on our Facebook page. Tag me on Instagram, just LSOS Photo Contest. We'll get you entered, and then our monthly winners will square off at the end of the year for a chance to hunt black buck or axis deer with me uh, down at Coons Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs, Texas, uh, where we just had Guns and Guitars 4. Badass weekend. I hope, uh, hope you guys and gals make plans to be a part of Guns and Guitars at some point because it is a, a weekend like none other. With that being said, uh, here's a little Mark David Manders taking us to break. Up next, I'll give you my thoughts on lab-grown meat. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I started drinking much too early. It led me straight. Hey, hey, all you waterfowl junkies out there. Cable here for TX Duck Blinds. Highly durable and highly mobile customized duck blinds built by duck hunters for duck hunters. Each blind is built from solid steel by professional welders and field tested before shipment. A duck season will come and go, but guess what? Your TX Duck Blind is built to last. Customize yours today by calling 817-965-1306. You can also find them at texasduckblinds.com or check them out on Instagram and Facebook at TX Duck Blinds. Hey, y'all, Cable here for Go Wild, the new social media app that is a friendly place for hunters and anglers alike. Here's what you do right now. You go over to Go Wild, you listen to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, which you're doing right now, and now you get credit for listening to the show because you can actually log the time that you spent listening to my show or, or any other show for that matter. But if you log time, if you say you listen to our show, you're entered to win one of five Lone Star Beer camo coolers, and then a grand prize, we're going to be giving away a Stealth Cam DS4K trail camera. So go to the Go Wild app, 
log in and then log your time listening to the show and you could be a winner. How about that? Love in the wasteland I don't understand Love in the wasteland For a woman and a man That's the music of Jay Johnson bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Cable Smith here with you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate each and every one of you, no doubt about that. Uh, man, can you believe it? September 1st is what? We're looking at like 45 days, maybe, give or take a few. Uh, it's going to be here before we know it, and that means dove season and elk season are right around the corner. I'm all kinds of fired up. Uh, this next topic has me fired up as well. But before we dive into Memphis Meats, uh, this segment of the show is proudly brought to you by Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging Technology. Check out the new Pulsar Helion Monocular. It's what I've got in my pack. I take it with me not only to uh, spot feral hogs and then move in you know, for shot opportunity, but uh, in the morning walking to my tree stand, during whitetail season, I scan with that thing to make sure I'm not blowing any animals out. Or if there's animals there, how can I get to my stand without, uh, you know, causing a disturbance and mucking up the hunt? Uh, check it out. It's the Pulsar Helion, and it's got internal uh, recording as well. So you can capture all your footage right there and then upload it to your computer. And you can find it at PulsarNV.com. All right. Uh, well, back to Memphis Meats. Um, one of my friends alerted me about this company. And so I did a little research and figured, hell, we need to, we need to get the CEO or, you know, one of the scientists or the founder on to tell us why meat grown in Petri dishes is a viable protein option. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Lab grown meat. But uh, as you would expect, they declined my invitation, uh, citing that they were too busy. So, no problem. We will just come on here, and instead of having Memphis Meats tell their side of the story, uh, I'll just slam them, because I think they're full of crap. Uh, they are claiming that they're doing this for the uh, betterment of the planet, right? Uh, our process will produce less waste and dramatically fewer greenhouse gas emissions we believe that the planet will be the ultimate beneficiary of our product. Well, that word product, go right, go right there. They're in it to make money. Memphis Meats is backed by Bill Gates. He's invested in the company. Also, Tyson Foods, the food conglomerate. Uh, so their bankroll is stacked. Now, why would Tyson Foods invest in a direct competitor of their conglomerate? Well, the writing's on the wall because they see it as a means to an end. They see this as the possible future of the meat industry, and if they don't want to get left behind, they better get on board. I'm telling you right now, that is exactly why they're involved with this company. These people don't care about anything other than making a dollar. And is that a problem? No, that's the American way. I don't, I don't really care. Um, if you want to eat lab-grown meat or you want to eat lab-grown rats, live and let live. That's my mantra, and that's what I've always said. But here's the issue. There will come a day when Memphis Meats will change or transition their message because here, all you have to do, and let me pull it up right here, is go to 
their uh, website. And it says it right here. Uh, you can enjoy the meat you love today and feel good about how it's made because we strive to make it better for you by growing it from cells instead of killing animals. So let's highlight that phrase, instead of killing animals. Well, for us to eat meat, something has to die. That's the way that the world has always worked. My hope is that it will continue to work that way. And uh, like I said, if you want to eat this Petri dish meat, you're more than welcome to. But the message will change, and it will go from making the world a better place to, hey, you a-holes, stop killing animals. We have this meat alternative now. You can find it in your grocery store. And there is no longer a need to hunt or slaughter animals for food. And friends, I guarantee you this will happen. It will happen in the not-too-distant future. And uh, I, I believe if we don't do something to prevent their movement from gaining traction, uh, we are in for one hell of a rocky ride. Because they won't stop at, here. here's a meat alternative, uh, if you're so inclined. They will force people to feel bad uh, about killing animals. Whether that's uh, you're eating beef from a slaughterhouse or hunting or otherwise. Um, <laughs> I guarantee you they will use social media. They will use vegans, vegetarians, all the sickos out there who are mentally unstable because they've been starving their brains of protein and uh, necessary nutrients that they need, which you can check out <laughs> that discussion on last week's show with uh, Dr. Georgia Ede. But anyway, they will use the mentally weak um, and they will use social media as a platform to further stigmatize and ostracize those of us who go out into the wild places and kill and eat our own protein, whether that's through hunting or fishing, they will play on the emotions of the weak. Write it down. They're coming. And, uh, and, and it's all about money. It's about the bottom dollar. If it wasn't, why the hell would Bill Gates or Tyson Foods be investing in a company like this? Um, and, and if you go look at their website, the meat looks disgusting. I'm not going to lie. There's a meatball front and center. It looks gelatinous and nasty. I mean, I wouldn't put it in my mouth. I wouldn't feed it to Bell, to be honest with you. Uh, it's grown in a Petri dish. I want to get my hands bloody. I want to go out and shoot or stick an arrow in a deer. I want to feel its flesh in my hands. Is that weird? No, it's not. That's what humans have been doing since the dawn of time. We are the best hunters on the planet. We're also the smartest, which is why we can do messed up crap like uh, grow meat in a lab. Uh, listen, this is just a little PSA for everyone to be aware of what's going on in this incredibly jacked up world that we live in. And if we don't become more proactive, and please don't uh, confuse the word proactive with being an a-hole because being a jerk on social media or uh, to some non-hunter or anti-hunter that you encounter does nothing to further our movement, our message as hunters, as anglers, as conservationists. But I truly believe we can go on the offensive without being jerks and try to educate because education is all we can do. When people truly understand who funds conservation, ah, they, they tend to get it, or at least it opens their eyes a little bit as to why sustainable use hunting is a good thing because here's what will happen if Memphis Meats is successful in their ultimate goal 
which will be the doing away with of, of hunting and ranching on a large scale. I mean, ranching is, is square in the crosshairs for a company like this. Uh, then the wildlife loses because who's going to protect them? If they say we can't hunt anymore, bye-bye wildlife. Uh, and that's the bottom line. There's no money. There's no funds. There's nobody protecting those animals. And if we're not protecting the animals, then where's the money to keep those national parks, those public lands open to the public? It won't happen. Now, uh, I've had folks on Instagram and Facebook like tell me when I posted about Memphis Meats that, well, this is a great, uh, this is great because, and these are hunters saying this, uh, folks who are starving in third world countries will have access to protein. Yeah, that might be the only positive, but that positive doesn't outweigh the negatives. Instead of that, let's open hunting up in those countries, let hunters go in there, and yeah, it sounds, it almost sounds bad, and that's just because society has stigmatized us to this point, but um, let trophy hunters in there, pay big money to hunt whatever species is that, that, that they're after, and then the meat obviously goes to the local communities. I've seen it firsthand. I've been to South Africa. I know how it works. It's not a bunch of BS. If you kill an elephant, every shred of that animal goes to feed the local community. Same with a giraffe. Same with uh, something as small as a steenbuck or a diker, a warthog. It is all used, all consumed um, by the camp itself, the hunting camp, and the community that supports it. So, Memphis Meats. Bad news, and they're coming for you and I. I don't know when that is going to be, uh, but it's going to happen. And we need to be there on the front lines to uh, to fend off that attack on our way of lives. So, anyway, uh, that's what they get for declining the interview option. I would have been fair, I think, uh, to discuss it with them. And, you know, obviously would have beat them up a little bit. But they knew that, and that's why they didn't want to come on the show. You can find their website, memphismeats.com, if you want to look at some of the disgusting stuff they have on there. Uh, go for it. It's uh, it's eye-opening. Anyway, uh, that segment of the show brought to you by a, uh, a place where you can get real meat, uh, Rudy's True Texas-Style Barbecue, where you can stop in for breakfast, lunch, or dinner and enjoy Rudy's True Texas-Style Barbecue. We'll be right back with an old friend of the show who was recently attacked by a mountain lion. Jim Shockey joins us next right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Have you had the frustration of trying to mount your game camera to a T-post with zip ties or bailing wire, but the first time you check it, find it pointing at the ground? I have. My name is Art Greep with Gunny Art Products. I'm the inventor of Teammate, the T-Post game camera mount. Teammate is a rugged steel bracket. Just attach your camera to it, slip it over a T-Post, and latch it in place. Teammate will end your zip tie and bailing wire frustration. Order yours today at tpostmount.com. That's tpostmount.com. Cable here, and we all know that the North Texas weather plays for keeps. That's why you should call my childhood baseball buddy, Phil, with Tech City Roofing. Tech City is a one-stop shop for your roofing needs, offering a 10-year transferable warranty. They don't require money up front or a down payment. They deal directly with your insurance company. 
Tech City is insured and has an A-plus rating with the BBB. Call Phil Marler at 940-600-8221 for a free inspection or email him at phil at techcityroofing.com. That's my lifelong bud, Phil, with Tech City Roofing at 940-600-8221. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at bobcatadvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. Hey, y'all. Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. I'm Frankie. I'm Stella. I'm listening to my dad. I'm the Lone Star Outdoor Store. You'd rather travel down the road, pave the thorns with your true Smith, welcome everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Getting a little help there from the Masters. Bite is the name of that one. That uh, happens to be the Twins' favorite tune these days. Um, man, thank you guys and gals for tuning in. It is great to be here. Thanks to DSC, our title sponsor as well. Uh, we've got a life member that I'm sure you're all familiar with that we'll be checking in with here momentarily. But before we do that... This segment of the presentation is proudly brought to you by Dallas Safari Club. I encourage you to become a member. Uh, I certainly am. And here's why. Because no club, no organization does more for big game conservation than DSC. They're passionate about conservation. They're passionate about hunter's rights and education. So here's what you do. You go to biggame.org to get plugged in today. Um, Okay, well... Let's go ahead and welcome an old friend back to the presentation, someone who is always very gracious with their time. I've called him uh, quite a few times over the years, and Jim Shockey has always been more than willing to jump on the show to discuss uh, whatever topic I had in mind for the day. And after seeing his recent scare from a cougar attack, uh, I figured, man, that's a pretty hairy deal. Uh, We should certainly get into that. Also, The new Hand of Man Museum, which is basically Jim's collection over the last 40 to 50 years, um, is now open to the public. And so from a cultural, a conservation, and a hunting standpoint, I certainly want to discuss that as well. So without further ado, it is my pleasure to welcome Jim Shockey back to the show. Jim, always great to visit with you. Uh, Thank you very much, Cable. I appreciate that. Absolutely. So uh, first of all, how in the world are you? Uh, it looks like, uh, based off your Instagram, grandparenthood seems to be treating you and uh, Louise very well. <laughs> uh, I, I wish I had uh, two of me so I could be on each side of North America to be 
with each of our grandchildren. Eva's got her little daughter, Lenny Boat, in North Carolina, and our son son is out here in Vancouver Island with with his son, Flint Jet. So Louise and I have been racing back and forth across the country. Eva lives somewhere in the Carolinas. I think they're building a house yeah, there. In, in, yeah, in, in Raleigh. Okay, right on, right on. Well, yeah, so lots of travel for you, but that's uh, that's something that you're used to anyway. Um, there's a couple of things that I wanted to get into today, Jim, concerning, uh, number one, the grand opening of your new museum. Then uh, we've got a recent cougar attack that I know our listeners want to hear about and also a, a charity event that you're really excited about coming up as well. Uh, so let's start with the Hand of Man Museum. I did watch the virtual tour on uh, Leupold's, uh, I guess, their YouTube channel. Uh, so okay, it was yeah. fascinating stuff. Um, it, all these items that are in the museum, though, are they things that you've just acquired over you know, three or four decades of traveling the globe, or if some of them donated? Um, tell us a little bit about that. Well, there, I actually started collecting for this museum when I was 10 years old. My, my, uh, I, I'm a collector. I guess Louise would call me a, a hoarder, but uh, <laughs> an, an organized hoarder. So, so I've been I've been collecting literally since I was ten years old with always a, a dream that someday I, I'd be able to put them in a museum and that's finally finally uh, come to be realized. I mean, two weeks ago we opened up the doors on our Hand of Man Museum of Natural History, Cultural Arts, and Conservation. Wow! It's uh, you know it's not a it's hunting is the theme, but but it's really you know, the, what we've wrought with our, our hands uh, as humankind is, is, and not just, I mean, we always hear in the news the ugly, horrible things we've done, but, but you know, we're a good thing. Human beings are, are beautiful creatures, and, and what we've created is, is beautiful. And, and the animals, how it all ties together, the various religions, it's, it's all there in the cultural arts. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. And so a lot of the artifacts are, I mean, obviously hunting-related. What are some of the, like you said, it's cultural, um, and you've experienced so many cultures traveling the globe. I think that's, for me anyway, and I haven't done near as much traveling as you, but the place that I have been, uh, the culture is something, the culture and the food, I mean, these are things that I just absolutely soak up. I know you do as well. So what are some of uh, your favorite non-hunting-related items that can be found in the museum? Boy, there, there's there's a lot. I, there, there's, you know, I mean, I've got, for people that are fishermen, there's there's a, a huge collection of of uh, fishing rods, reels, you know, fishing lures, going way back, fishing nets. You know, for decoy collectors, there's a great collection of decoys. Uh, as you move down the hallway, you know, I'm in, from the North African desert, uh, the uh, Tuareg people, there's camel bags and, and their mats and their tent covers. I mean, it, it, you know, to to pick one specific thing would be, you know, that, that's not hunting related. Well, even if it was hunting related, it would still be difficult. <laughs> right. Much. I mean, it's, it's literally 50 years of my collecting around the world and and uh, and on display. So, boy, every every single thing is a is a wonderful memory. Yeah, I think the uh, and and we've curated in a, in a way it's interactive, so that when people are there with the iPads that we provide, the information for what they're looking at will will be me telling the story. 
so so it's uh you know they can decide at that point which is which is their favorite more, far more important to mm. me what what they think of it than uh than my memories of it because because my memories are all there documented and and uh for anybody that's interested they can plug it into the iPad on whatever number they're looking at and whatever artifact and the story will come up on the screen. Very cool. And so obviously this has been a, uh, like you said, a, basically a life's work. Um, where did you keep all this stuff before the museum opened? I mean, <laughs> have a storage <laughs> shed or I, I know probably yeah. someone was at the house, but yeah, talk, talk to Louise, my long suffering wife of 33 years. <laughs> you know, the, the uh, it, our, our place was packed. She, she put her foot down and said, Absolutely nothing, you know, animal-wise goes into the little living part of our living room, kitchen, or bedroom kind of thing. But the rest of the house, I had it stacked to the ceiling. And, you know, plus the wood shed, I converted into a storage shed, our our two-car garage storage shed, our our guest house storage shed. You know, it's, uh, it's amazing how much you can stuff into a small space if you really have a mind to do it and you're a hoarder at heart. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm living proof of that. I, I, we just moved, thank God. And I, so I'm getting my own little trophy room. It's a, a formal, it was a formal like living area, I guess. I don't think they're putting those in many houses today, but, uh, we're going to walling it off and it'll be my man cave slash trophy room. So, but before we move my old studio office, just, I mean, it looked a little tacky. There were just skulls like touching each other. There were so many in there. <laughs> So uh, my well, wife, obviously, my, she feels the yeah. same way as as, as uh, your beautiful bride yeah, does. <laughs> thank goodness for understanding spouses. Yeah, my, yeah. my office, where I'm sitting right now, talking to you, is uh, same thing. It's still it's still packed. I mean, literally, moose antlers touching, caribou antlers touching, elk antlers touching. I find it comforting. Some people don't, I guess. So, <laughs> no, it's you know, it, it, that's a ancient, ancient primal feeling, and it, and it is comforting. It's a reminder of successes in the field that you know really in the olden days ensured the success of our of our family and our tribe and our nation and so you know they would paint on their cave walls and i'll guarantee they you know have their favorite arrowheads on display that they think you know their favorite bows i mean it's it's exactly the same thing so it's not it's nothing to it shouldn't be perceived as strange it's a it should be always as it's 100 percent natural it's innate inside all of us to feel comfort in a in a place that reminds us of what we've accomplished in the past, and and you know hopefully dreaming to accomplish in the future. So mm-hmm. and hence man cave, and that's what it should be like <laughs> is, a, is a cave. At least I think so. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's funny. Uh, you and I think it's normal, but apparently to sell your house, that's not uh, that's not kosher. So the first thing the realtor did was like, all this crap has to come down. So uh, he got to spend four or five months in a storage unit, and it was nice oh, to get him yeah, back yeah. to the new house. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I suppose. I mean, and that's fair enough. If you're, you know, not everyone, you know, historically, ten percent of us hunted, you know, and and of that ten percent, I'm sure not all of us were great hunters. You know, and when the tribe would be starving, everybody would try and hunt, but most of them were useless at it. So it's fair enough that. The ninety percent that don't hunt don't want to be reminded that they're crappy hunters. Mm-hmm. You know, this is again, if you just use common sense, yeah. it all makes perfect sense. So, you know, the ten percent that are hunters will love walking in your place and seeing that. The other ninety percent, you know, okay, it's, it's it's that's okay. We don't need to shove it in their faces if they 
they want to see it, we don't have to show it. It's, that's for us to take that responsibility. I wonder if historically, you know, like take a European mount, for example, like or just the horns. Before photographs existed, I wonder, if, and you probably know more about this than I do, uh, based off of your travels. Uh, I wonder if they kept these mounts as, as or basically the skull and horns, uh, as a reminder because they didn't have photographs. And uh, going back to the painting, I know that that was their their first form of of uh, chronologizing um, events that have occurred, and most of those were hunting related, but. Um, yeah, no, there's no, there's no doubt. I mean, you, you, if you go back and look at the original etchings going right back into the, into the 1500s. I mean, I just actually bought a book. Um, it was uh, printed in 1507, so 12 years after Columbus discovered America. There, you know, this book is on, on hunting and fishing, hmm. and there's etchings in this book. I mean. Yeah, they didn't have photographs, but but they had the next best thing for them, which was paintings, etchings. As they got more sophisticated, you know, going backwards, they obviously, you know, had the cave paintings, and, and you know, it, it's all tied into the spirituality of being a hunter and living the life of a hunter, which means embracing all of this, you know, the the, the aspects of the hunt, including the 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 joy of of and the beauty of the antlers or the horns of the animals we've hunted or the tusks. Absolutely, they brought them back, 100%. They, they brought them back. Now, I, I don't know that they brought back, uh, you know, the, the tusks of a, of a you know, 100-pound tusk of a mammoth that's pretty heavy or the 60-, you 80-pound know, um, skull of a moose, but they sure brought back bits and pieces and chunks that they could carve into useful artifacts yeah. and, and use, you know, use the horns of of sheep for spoons out here on the northwest coast, the coast, the the, the goat horns um, on the interior of British Columbia. They've made spoons out of those, carved them all up. So, yeah, I mean we're tied so closely to the the wildlife and that you know the the joy that we feel looking at those you know skulls that we bring home or or you know the antlers or the mounts. It, it, that's that goes way 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 back, and I mean even hundreds of years if you're that contemporary. You know, going to the castles, those castles they've all got roe deer horns and red stag horns, and, hmm. and the really fancy castles have Irish stag antlers on the uh, on their walls. I mean, and not just one or two; they're just like that man cave that we talked about earlier, where they're touching each other. Literally, the walls are covered on these these skulls, and these are from. 500 years ago, 400 years ago. So, you know, it's perfectly normal. It's just the urbanization nowadays would have, have you know, the popular press would have us believe that it's not normal. But it's, it's in fact, completely normal, and there's, you know, we should all be proud of being hunters. Absolutely. Uh, and another, uh, well, probably one of the most articulate conservationists I know, uh, Shane Mahoney, he was telling me about these, these caves in France and Spain, and you've probably been there in your travels, I don't know. Uh, but I think they're the earliest documented paintings that we know from human history. And he was telling me, like, the interesting thing is every one of them had to do with animals or hunting. He's like, you did not see a tree, you did not see a landscape. You, they didn't, like the sun, none of it, just animals. And, and the animals were all really ornate and very well done, and then it was like the, the humans were just little stick figures. So that just goes back to showing, you know, how desensitized 
our society has come today, uh, become today, uh, based off of where we came from. That's hundred percent, and 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 that's that's because you know, we've we've become we've removed ourselves from the actual process of gathering our own food or hunting our own food. So yeah, Shane, Shane's Shane's right. They're uh, they're. Um, you know, the animals, we're tied so closely to these animals. And to think that what we've become civilized, you know, we, we somehow uh, superseded genetics. And in, in 10,000 years or 20,000 when these caves were painted in France uh, 20,000 years ago, we, we've, you know, we can ignore what's what, we're, what we are. It's impossible. Right. You know, we can urbanize and remove ourselves, but, but it's still inside of us. and. Absolutely. And given the right circumstances, you know, it'll come right round full circle, and we'll be doing the same thing again. I mean, that, that's one, that's the symbol of our of our um, hand of man museum is is the hand of man. You know, one of these, you know, where they took colors and dyes and put it in their mouth and then blew it against their hand that was held against a cave wall. So you end up with with the negative of a hand on a wall. And that, that's the actual symbol for Handelman Museum. That's fascinating. Fascinating stuff. Well, so how can folks uh, book a tour? Uh, real simple. Just go to handofman.org, O-R-G, handofman.org, and, and uh, book a time, book a date. You know, I have to live it, limit the number of people um, that can be walking through the museum. It's, it's an interactive museum, and... and the artifacts and, and whatnot are, are open. This isn't a glass castle where you have to, you know, look at things from 50 yards away. I mean, you're right there, you know, hopefully not touching, although there is one room that's interactive in the sense that you can you can touch the mounts, touch the, the hides. If someone wants to touch a muskox, they can touch a muskox. If they want to touch a grizzly bear claw, they can touch that, or an aardwolf, or wolf, fox. I mean, they're, they're, those hides are all in there. Um, so, so they can go online, uh, handofman.org, and, and just book a time, and that way they're insured. They can also drop in. You know, just take the chance that, there, that there's not already ten people in the museum. That's what I limit it to at a time, and two-hour limit. And uh, people are welcome. You know, if no one else is in there, stay longer, no problem. But uh, that way, we we can control the number of people that are going through the museum. So far, it's been incredible. The response is 100% positive, and and, you know, I mean, it, it, people love it. And, and I think it's because it's not a stodgy, cold, you know, distant place like like some of the natural history museums that are so well-known. Sure, sure. This, this is close, and it's real, and it's, it's people. It's for people, about people. So, you know, so far, been positive response. And it's in, it's in B.C., yeah, Vancouver Island, near near the town of Duncan, British Columbia, on Vancouver Island, okay. which, by the way, has the nicest weather in all of Canada. <laughs> is a super tourist destination. Awesome. Well, okay, so that's very exciting. Uh, congratulations on I know you guys just opened up last month, so um, next time I'm up in that area, I'd probably be I'd probably be for a bear hunt, a black bear hunt or something. But uh, we'll make it a point to to put that on the. Uh, the short list of things that I need to do. Um, Absolutely, and, it, and it's, it's uh, free of charge too. So it's not, oh wow! Not like it's going to break the bank for you to show up. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Well, uh, also you've got a, a charity, or I don't, is it for charity or nonprofit? Uh, 
uh, golf yeah, tournament that you've got coming up. You betcha. In North Carolina, we actually ran this golf tournament. Uh, they called it the Jim Shockey Desert Classic for six years down in Tucson. And we've had a three-year hiatus, and now I'm, I fired it up again, and we're going to be doing it now out of North Carolina, or, or sorry, South Carolina, in Myrtle Beach. Hmm. Uh, I think most people have heard of Myrtle Beach. <laughs> yeah. Yep, for golf, anyway. Famous golf destination. Yeah. Any, which, by the way, there's quite a few hunters golf. There's, there's lots of hunters that uh, say it's a perfectly good walk spoiled, but, uh, but uh, there is a lot of hunters that also golf. The discipline between golf and archery is so similar to me. It's just practicing the same skills, mm-hmm. and at least mental skills. Uh, but yeah, December 2nd and 3rd this year, 2018, we are having the uh, Jim Chalky Classic Golf Tournament is, is on again, and it's, a, it's done under the Freedom Hunters uh, uh, Charity uh, Foundation. I'm not sure how they have it structured, but, it, but it's all tax, it's all a tax write-off for everybody, and 100% of the funds go towards taking veterans of the armed forces and their families hunting. Hmm. Uh, so. You know, in the past we raised upwards of $300,000 with this event uh, over the years, and and we fully expect this new iteration of this golf tournament will be will be um, even better than than the original one. And that's coming up December, early December second and third. You said. Yep, December 2nd and 3rd, 2018 in Myrtle Beach, North Carolina. Awesome. Everybody's welcome. There, you know, Of course, there'll be a limit on the number of people who can do the actual golfing, I think 140. But And, and the goodie bags, by the way, are probably worth more than the, uh, than the actual cost of the, the golf event. Plus, there's you know, good fun to be had by all and around the golf. Uh, and I will be waiting on every hole to uh, challenge everybody on a... a uh, even though I know betting on sports events isn't legal, <laughs> for in this in this case, I'm sure they'll overlook the fact that uh, I'll challenge anybody to a, a KP on a par three. I'll be waiting for it, everybody. So it, it's it's a lot of fun. There's also a, an event the night before, an auction event where we'll have donated hunts, you know, hunts in Mozambique and South Africa for up for auction and a few other you know live auction, then a big uh, silent auction as well. Awesome. So, yeah, the more and lots of people, we can take more people to that uh, that particular event. Well, right on. Well, let's do this. Let's uh, let's just take a quick break. Come back and then we got to hear about this cougar attack. Uh, if uh, if you got a few more minutes. Sure, absolutely. Excellent. And that segment brought to you by the First Light Obsidian Pant. Just like all of their merino wool, it keeps you warm in the cool mornings and keeps you cool during those hot afternoons. And also, my favorite part. It's tough as nails. I took those pants spring bear hunting in Montana, took them to Africa. They're the only thing I wore. And I mean, like, literally, I just took one pair and wore them every day. And they're still trucking after being put through the ring. I mean, I tried to beat them to hell. Didn't succeed. It's the Obsidian Pant, and you can find it at firstlight.com. We'll be right back with more from Jim Shockey, a cougar attack that'll make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. That's next on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. But I learned more on the freight docks Dropping forklifts on a 3 o'clock a.m. shift In the wintertime, man, it got cold 
The granddaddy of all hunting shows returns to Houston. The 2018 Hunters Extravaganza, August 3rd through the 5th at the NRG Center. Meet Duck Dynasty's Willie Robertson and Michael Waddell and T-Bone from Bone Collectors. Bring the kids and see Gator Country's huge live alligators and the best bucks taken in our annual deer competition. Check out the latest gadgets and gear. Buy direct from the manufacturers and save. The 2018 Hunters Extravaganza, August 3rd through the 5th at the NRG Center. Get your tickets now at huntersextravaganza.com. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution. The System Hog Trap comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The System is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. Have you had the frustration of trying to mount your game camera to a T-post with zip ties or bailing wire, but the first time you check it, find it pointing at the ground? I have. My name is Art Greep with Gunny Art Products. I'm the inventor of Teammate, the T-post game camera mount. Teammate is a rugged steel bracket. Just attach your camera to it, slip it over a T-post, and latch it in place. Teammate will end your zip tie and bailing wire frustration. Order yours today at tpostmount.com. That's tpostmount.com. Dot com. Old friend, to shine like diamond. Old friend, you can always call. Old friend, Lord, you can't find. That's the late great Guy Clark, old friends, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and. Hoff Power Polaris, our longtime presenting sponsors. I'm your host, Cable Smith, by the way, and uh, we're all set to continue our discussion with an old friend of ours in the form of Jim Shockey. Uh, but uh, before we jump back into it with the Super Slammer, uh, that's right, he's taken every North American big game species with a muzzleloader uh, <laughs> to boot. So before we get back into it with Jim, though, this segment of the show is proudly brought to you by Horizon Firearms. You guys and gals have seen that 7 mag. Yeah, I'm proud of that bad boy because when I pull the trigger, something stops breathing. And uh, that's a testament to the rifle. It's uh, a lot better than I am, to be honest with you. So I had them build this rifle to my exact specifications. They'll do the same for you. And you can find them at horizonfirearms.com. Well, let's go ahead and uh, get back into it here with Jim, who was nice enough to stick around through the break. Uh, what everyone wants to know, or at least what I want to know, and probably anyone who's been following along uh, your social media outlets, Jim, is this mountain lion attack. I mean, I couldn't believe the picture I was I was looking at. It was a cougar literally inches away from you, and you could see the blast, of a muzzle blast. And so somehow you and your cameraman were able to get this all on film. Uh, take us back to that time and place and, and what exactly happened. We were actually up in my opening territory on the north end of Vancouver Island. Uh, I, I've been opening out there. People think I'm a TV guy, but actually I'm a I'm an outfitter, a guide and an outfitter, and have been had that territory for over 25 years. So we were my camera and I were actually hunting bears. We were um, looking for for bears out near the west coast, and as we were driving towards where we were going to be hiking down to a grass flat, 
uh, a cougar across the road in front of us. Hmm. Excuse me. The um, now that's not you know you might see one cougar during the spring bear season if you spend a lot of time out there you know, crossing the road, but the odds of seeing it a second time are about zero. But you know, occasionally you do get a, a crack at them, and you know I always carry cougar tags. It's we're allowed two on Vancouver Island, and it's about a nearly a nine-month season, I believe. Hmm. Uh, there's a lot of cougars on Vancouver Island, obviously. Uh, so I, and it was it was a big male. You could tell that went across the road. So I told the cameraman, you know, just get out. Let's take a walk up there. Maybe we'll see it going up through the old growth timber, and you know, maybe I'll get a shot at it. So I, I was actually hunting bears, but serendipitously had this cougar across the the uh, logging road. And it's you know, I'm talking about a uh, a more almost a trail more than a logging road. There's no traffic on it. You know, there may be one vehicle a day or every two days hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But um, when it's we so rare up, that you saw it to begin with, because like you said, I, I mean, I've spent a lot of time in the outdoors and I've never seen one unless I was actually actively hunting them with hounds. You know, uh, they're very secretive and they usually don't let you see them unless they want you to. That's exactly right. I mean. There's many, many times when I've been walking down a logging road or walking through the old growth on Vancouver Island and suddenly the, the hair on the back of your neck will stand up and you know 100% that there's something big and ominous close by. <laughs> you can't, you cannot see them. Yeah. You know, that when they don't want to be seen, they they just aren't seen by us. Hmm. And in this case, that that's what happened. The, the, this big Tom, big male, uh, when he crossed the road, I thought he would, you know, head up through the old growth, and I might get a glimpse of him, you know, maybe if I was really lucky, get a shot at him. And, and you know, taking out a cougar out of our area is a good thing right now because they're hardly managed at all, and, and there's there's just too many predators. The wolves have wiped out most of the deer on the north end of Vancouver Island. You know, they, they use the logging roads as their trails, which makes them uber predators. They'll run a logging road in a pack until they hit a deer track, and then off they go kill it back on the road again. In the old days, they didn't have those roads. They couldn't hunt that efficiently. Nowadays, they can. And, and so they, they've, you know, I mean, and again, this is not, I can't prove it scientifically. I can just tell you layman's feet on the ground. This is the reality. This is the truth. Well, I saw this uh, in Montana, firsthand bear hunting this spring. I was hunting with a guy up there, and he was like, there's no wolves here, let me tell you. And then we started walking the, the logging road, and there was wolf crap literally every 20, 30 yards. And he was like, he was joking, of course. He'd be like, hey, there's no wolves here, you know, just mocking the, how sad the state of affairs is when it comes to the lack of wolf management. Well, that, that's that's the problem. I mean, everybody loves to hear wolves howling in the wilderness, and, and it's it's an icon of the wilderness, mm-hmm. certainly. But, but, you know, to anyone that thinks that, there's true wild populations of any animals left in this world needs to have their head examined. You know, the fact is every wildlife species has to be managed nowadays because we've changed the dynamics. Logging roads have made wolves uber predators. They're, they're just, they, they can kill anything and as much as they want, and they do kill everything that's in sight, contrary to what people have you believe. They're not killing the weak and the, the lame and the infirm. They're, they're killing everything they can and that includes full-grown mature elk and moose it doesn't matter they'll kill them all mm-hmm. and and we need to manage those animals those predators and it's yeah it would be wonderful if we lived in the garden of eden but 
<laughs> Last I heard, you know, we, we kind of screwed that up and ate the apple. So we're we're living with what we're living with, and, and it's better to face reality than than live in some type of a dream utopia that doesn't exist. Yeah. But anyway, that's I, I'm on my soapbox on that one. Well, it, I know it's refreshing to hear somebody say wolves are a problem. We all love them, like well, you said. Are. We love them. Sure, They're sure. cool, awesome animals, apex predators. But the reality is. They kill the mature animals too. That that mantra of "oh, they only kill the weak and the old and the sick" is such a load of crap. I can't stand it when people say that. Oh, or that they only kill what they what they eat. Yeah. <laughs> Just go go fly around up north and see where the wolves have caught a a herd of caribou out on the ice, and, and they've killed every one of them, and and they've eaten what they can, but the rest just sits there. I mean, and yeah, okay. Ultimately, it gets used by something. You know, until the, the ice freezes and then they sink to the bottom of the lake, and then maybe they get eaten by bacteria. I don't know. Hmm. But but you know, if we want to be intelligent about our management of wildlife species, and not just big game animals that we eat, the ungulates, but also you know the, all the animals, we need to face reality. We have to manage all the wildlife populations, including the predators out there, and and. You know, we can't be handcuffed by politics and and lawsuits and you know because then it's too late and and then nobody wins, including the wildlife. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's I I, don't know. I mean it's uh, it's frustrating to know that the urbanized majority are are dictating what goes on in in the rural lands. Uh, you know, and they have no sense, no actual feet on the ground sense uh, of of what their rulings or how they're impacting the wildlife populations. Well, it's just like your stupid uh, grizzly bear ban up there with people, the citizens of Vancouver and the political party making the decision for, you know, a decision that affects uh, people that they'll never meet in part of the world that they're never going to experience to begin with. No, and it's to make themselves feel good with, I guess, other people, other like-minded people. And, and, but, but, why? Why? And, and to, to the excuse or the reason they called it a reason was because it's socially unacceptable. I mean, give me a break. If we start managing this this world by what's socially unacceptable, you know, you wouldn't have USC fighting. But excuse me, I, I kind of like watching that once in a while, and, <laughs> and there's millions of other people do. Yeah. You know, like what 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 would you get rid of until we're all living in some kind of a weird, you know, downtown New York City cocoon of, of delis that only serve organic swill. I mean, I, I don't know. But I, I just know that it's not a world that I want to live in. And they're not going to quit until they've neutered every one of us. Well, that, that's there you go. That, that seems to be what the, the hope is, is to make the world just like them. Yeah. And, and where, where's the tolerance? I mean, the left wing has become the far right wing nowadays. It's weird. Mm-hmm. The, the world's, world's gone topsy-turvy, but it's done that a few times in history. But anyway, again, we're we're on our soapboxes and back to the things. cougar hunt <laughs> or attack, so, actually. Yeah, the, the the bottom line is that that cougar, after it crossed the road, it hit it hit in the um, sorry about that. Or my wife's dog is going crazy. The the uh, cougar actually hid in the salal berry bushes in in the uh, beside the road and waited for me and waited for the cameraman. Wow. So it uh, it uh, when I walked by, I was looking up the slope, uh, you know, thinking I'd see it a couple hundred yards away, maybe up through the old growth, which was almost impossible to see in any way. But as we walked past that spot, looking up the hill, 
and the cameraman was on my right-hand side, which was fortunate, not behind me. The, the cougar leapt from out of the out of the berry bushes, and his first bound, you know, like his first rush, was just, you know, it was it gave a warning, and I don't know what what warning it was exactly. Uh, you know, some some sixth sense told me to swing. You know, maybe it was a sound. Maybe it was just some, I don't know, like I say, sixth sense. But I swung the gun around, and as it leaped to come at me, I shot. Um, it, was, it was literally that quick. It was a tenth of a second. You watch it on camera. Mm. And um was fortunate enough to, to uh, you know, I, I, I didn't aim, well, I couldn't aim. <laughs> it was shooting from the hip, but but um, I, my, I was pointing at the, the big brown part, and that's exactly what I hit, but not just a little <laughs> bit off to the side. But it was, you know, it, it was enough to 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 uh, turn the cat, and and it only went about 20 feet back in into the uh, bushes, and then I I shot it, finished it off. Uh, but it it was it was a big mature tom, would have probably weighed 140 pounds, uh, in uh, if he was in health, good health, mm-hmm. um, but was down to about 100 pounds. And so, so, why do you think he was emaciated? Does it go back to the overabundance of wolves? Yeah, I think 100%. The wolves, uh, there was a pack of wolves running that particular drainage mm. all winter. Um, I actually met, it was interesting that, it, you know, if it, if it would have been a hiker or a biker or a logger, they would be dead. They're 100% they would be dead. If If I hadn't seen that cat cross, the the logging road um, beforehand, and I, and I was just walking. I wouldn't have been locked and loaded and and switched on, which I was. You know, I would be dead. There, there's unless the cameraman tried to beat it off me with a with a camera, and, mm-hmm. you know, instead of doing what he should have been doing, which was run away. But uh, you know, the the it was it was just pure good. I mean, luck that that I. Um, you know, was was ready and and really quite switched on and tuned in. Otherwise, like I say, I, I would have been dead. We'll call it maybe yeah. call it uh, decades and decades of experience. You know, to and something about us hunters, we do have a sixth sense of just spending time in the woods. I think that uh, the average city slicker uh, can't relate to. I did, and I just saw, uh, uh, and you'd mentioned this, uh, the, the Washington couple uh, cyclists. Yeah. They were bicycling in the woods, and one of them. Actually, it, the cougar attacked both of them, killed one of them, drug it off in the woods to eat it. Yeah, I think it. I think it attacked. I think it, as I understood it, uh, attacked one of them, and the other one tried to run away, and, and the cat went after that one, so it left the person that it mm-hmm. was attacking. I think it got both of them, but it only killed one of them, and, and uh, yeah. was eating that person. And that that was just two weeks before this cougar tried to attack me. Yeah. But, but you know the the, the difference. You know, people have asked, uh, "Well, were you scared?" Or you know, you must have been really. It was. It was. You know, you, you don't. You just don't get scared. And if you're a hunter, that's not what happened. That's not the the order of events. Yeah. You know, the order of events is okay. You take care of business, and then you know, if you want to get excited after that, which I was. I mean, I turned to the camera and said, "Holy moly! Do you see that? Like, like what the heck?" But it wasn't. It's not a fear because, you know, we're as hunters, we're. We are part of nature, and, and there's not a fear. It's, it's an understanding that when you're in the wildlands, you take upon your own shoulders the responsibility of survival. 
So you don't get afraid. Why would you get afraid? Mm-hmm. You, gotta, you know, that animal is trying to survive, and, and I'm trying to survive. It's not a, it's not a fear. A city person fears. A, a, a hunter doesn't feel fear. That's not that's not what they feel. You know, if you're going into a dangerous situation with a cape buffalo or something wounded in the bush, yeah, you, you'll feel trepidation, but but never never fear. And and uh, and and like I say, it was just a good thing. It was a hunter that the cougar bumped into. And, and yeah, okay, I, you know, granted, I've, ha- I've been in similar situations all around the world. I've been doing it for 40 years now. So, so it, the cat probably didn't pick the best person to, to try and eat on that given day. Right. Uh, right. You know, it was the, the, the next day going by that same spot, there was a logger walking. And I, 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 I like literally within 200 yards of there. And, and he was walking, he, what he would do was, was maintaining the road, so he'd have his little backhoe, drive his his truck to his backhoe, and then work the backhoe for you know five miles down the road during the day, and then walk back to his vehicle and get back in it and drive home. Well, if this would have been one day later, if I wouldn't have killed that cat, almost 100% for sure, we we would have had a second fatality, you know, cougar attack and killing. Hmm. Um, but on Vancouver Island this time, because that cat would have got that logger. That, yeah. You know, it's 24 hours difference. It still would have been in the area. Now maybe it would have moved up the slope and and gone somewhere else and not been there. But you know, the, the odds were if it wasn't him, it was somebody else. So, hmm. Hmm. like I say, it was it was probably you know a good day for human beings and a bad day for the cougar that it that it just bumped into me that day. Something uh, interesting. I, I was. Uh... And this goes back to I know your this cougar was a little bit emaciated, uh, but I was in Africa a couple of weeks ago and was reading Capstick's uh, Death in the Tall Grass, and I was just I wouldn't say alarmed, but I was surprised by how many of the man-eating lions and leopards are 100% healthy, and generally they're mature males uh, that have no physical weakness, no no wounds, they're not missing teeth. Um, and they just turn to eating people, I guess, because it's just easier, right? And some of them, they, you know, it's, it's thought that they actually like the taste of human flesh. Well, we're we're just we're just basically the softest things out there, <laughs> and, and and you know, the, it, we may well believe that we're a cosmic event. We've got some divine right to be alive, and and so nothing will ever touch us. But you know what? When when anything gets hungry, almost anything else becomes food for it. And, and and you know that that's you know lions over there yeah so so what you're in good shape you're hungry today you know and there's a there's a, a snack walking by you on two legs I mean who who cares if it's on two legs or four legs right you know and and you know for sure hunting has kept them at bay you know for sure hunting has kept them at bay you know generations I mean tens of thousands of years or thousands of years depending on what what your faith is. You know, hunting has kept those predators at bay, and they've learned. Well, you know, that little thing that looks like it's a tasty morsel isn't really. You know, it's kind of dangerous. Mm-hmm. But you you take away you you take away the hunting. It's how many generations before the animals just decide? Oh, wait a minute, that soft thing is just a morsel, and and there's no repercussions. So that you know that's that's however many generations down the road we can expect that to happen if we keep doing things like. What British Columbia did for for inane reasons to to ban the hunt for for predators, and and they didn't really affect anything by that anyway. There's no doubt that 
you know, when grizzly bears are encountered, they're going to get shot, and and it, farmers aren't going to tolerate it, ranchers aren't going to tolerate it, people that live in the in those areas aren't going to tolerate them when the numbers increase, and they're just going to get, you know, they're going to handle a problem. The government won't handle it; they'll handle it themselves. You know, the government's supposed to be about the people, and not. A, a government of the tyranny of the majority from the urban centers. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so it's 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 just a anyway. We're we're back into the same discussion about how how we've screwed up the management of our wildlife species by by allowing politics and, and urbanization and the urban people to dictate what happens with the wildlife. Well, so just uh, kind of wrapping things up here, though. As far as obviously, it was your reaction time that saved you from injury or possible death. Um, and it's very cool that uh, Taylor happened to be rolling tape, as you said you'd seen the cat. Uh, so, what number one? What caliber uh, rifle? I know you were bear hunting, so what were you? What did you have with you in the woods that day? I actually had my my M48 Nosler um, with a VH6 uh, loophole scope on it. And the caliber was a 30 nozzler caliber, shooting 180 grain Acubon bullets, which was all, you know, a perfect combination, except for the big scope. But there was no time for a big scope when that, when the cat came out. You know, one thing too that it, when we watched it on camera, because Taylor Smith was running the camera and he had it recording right then. When the cat rushed us, he was he was off to my right. The cat came from behind and left. You know, Taylor swung the camera around and caught the cat as it came out and was leaping. And in super slow motion, you actually see it's an interesting effect. The cat obviously has never attacked a human before because there'd be news reports of that. Mm-hmm. So when the cat came out on the initial rush out of the bush, and it was probably six, seven feet max of distance, and then was, you know, and and as he rushed, he was just. You could see his muscles, you know, like he was just coming up. His his hands were actually coming up towards me, or his paws. Uh, and what happened, I think, and what killed the cat and saved me was instead of, like, if I was a deer, I would have bolted right then. As soon as that rush happened, I would have gone, woof, and bolted. That's what the cat's used to. In this case, I didn't do that. I actually held my ground, and not only held my ground, but turned to, quickly towards the cat. Now, and you see on camera, the cat actually was taken aback, literally taken aback by that motion. It, it as it was gathering to leap, it, it actually, you know, set back on its, you know, just hesitated for a second. It wasn't all in. It, I think it probably instinctively felt that I was going to fight it too, rather than run, because it didn't know. It just knows I'm different, I'm food, yeah. but it doesn't know what the reaction is going to be. So it actually, as it gathered to, to leap at me, you know, on that initial rush, which all happened all in a fluid motion, it, you see in super slow motion how it sits, just hesitates for a second, kind of pulls back as I, and it set his claws up like he was going to take my attack. And then when it realized I wasn't actually attacking, I was just holding its gra- my ground, it came again. So there was a, there was a hesitation of, you know, again, a tenth of a second. You know, I, I don't know, I've never timed it, but it was a mm. fraction, a fraction of a second. But that fraction of a second allowed me to get the, the gun barrel around on the cat and get the shot off. And, and it was on the actual initial, you know, when it's regathered sort of for that tenth of a second that it uh, that, that I hit it and that stopped the charge. So it's interesting to see even in the even in 
know, predators like that, that if you're not all in, you, you, you can end up on the, obviously the short end of the stick in this case. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so where can folks uh, find this? We'll be coming up on a uh, upcoming show. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely do a, uh, a hunting adventures television show on that. Uh, um, it, it was a pretty interesting show up to that point. I, I tried to get a bear with my bow and, and I'd, uh, messed up the site on when I was climbing down the, the mountain to get to where the bear was. And when I shot at the bear that you see the arrow hit about 20 yards out in front of me in the ground. And you hear me saying, there's something wrong with my site. And, and, uh, so it, I was pretty depressed at that point. So it'll be an interesting show. We'll go from depression to, <laughs> to hundred percent adrenaline. Uh, yeah. that, that'll be, that'll be coming out. I expect in 2019 on our hunting adventure show. Well, very cool. Very cool. Well, Jim, it is it is always a pleasure uh, to visit with you, and uh, just wanted to remind folks for your uh, your golf tournament, December second and third, and the, just give us the website where folks can find that if they're interested. Uh, well, you just you know what the easiest way is email email me directly at info at jimshockey dot com, and and I will you know send out the information right to to whoever is interested. This, you know this is a this is a fun event great cause you know a way to thank our veterans we can never do enough but we do what we can and, and this one it'll be a a fun event uh raise a lot of money to take veterans and their families hunting as a as a thank you well we appreciate all you do thanks for the time today and we'll let you get back to i think it was was that lenny bow i heard in the background <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> well congrats on the on the uh the new additions i know that's uh that's it's life changing, that's for sure. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and I'm I'm embracing it. Uh, I can't say I like the idea of of uh, you know waking up sore and all stiff every morning. That was kind of a lot more fun when I was forty, thirty, you know, twenty. But uh, but you know what? It, it, this is this is the way life goes. And uh, look look, we make space for the next generation. That's Lenny Bow and Flynn Jetta. So I'm I'm a pretty happy. They're calling me Big Baba. So that's. <laughs> Which I think means Ukrainian grandmother, which is, is pretty funny. I'm gonna go. My legacy in our family will be that. Yeah, Ukrainian grandmother, this, this hunter guy. So. Well, thanks again, Jim, and uh, I'm sure we'll see you at the. Uh, well, I guess probably next time you're in Dallas at the DSC show. So. Yep. Yeah, we'll, we'll catch you then. Sure. Okay, Cable. All right. Thanks again. You bet. All right. There he goes. Our good friend Jim Shockey. Uh, we've had lots of great discussions over the years, but I feel like. That one is my new favorite. Um, kind of all over the map there, <laughs> dissecting what is wrong with modern society when it pertains to hunting and conservation and who makes decisions concerning uh, wildlife and uh, the people who actually protect it. It's not those people making the decisions in the concrete jungle, guarantee you that. Um, that segment, by the way, brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. Well, we'll be right back with my good friend Pierre Pins, a videographer, photographer, and more importantly, storyteller. And we'll discuss the ins and outs of capturing a hunt from behind the lens next on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Hey y'all, Cable here for Three Curl Outfitters, and whether you want to bow hunt hogs or get after them with thermal imaging and night vision, under the cover of darkness, Three Curl has you covered. 
They've got the latest and greatest thermal imaging and night vision technology. They hunt unlimited, I mean, just thousands upon thousands of acres of ag fields. Or if you're a bow hunter and you want to sit in a stand and wait for the hog to come to you, uh, they can do that as well. Check it out, 3curl.com to book your next hog hunt. Hi, I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Please keep buying your Polaris products from us. Send us your friends, your neighbors, all your hunting buddies, and I promise we'll keep giving the best deals on a brand new Polaris in all of Texas. Whether you're looking for a Polaris for work or play, whether you need a regular Ranger or maybe a Ranger Crew, an RZR, they've got an all-new Ace that you need to come test drive. We've also got four-wheelers from a youth model all the way up to the all-new Sportsman 1000. For your Polaris headquarters, Hoff Powers Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas is who you need to see all or get on the web and contact today. You can check us out at hpolaris.com. That's H's in Hoff Power, polaris.com. Or you can come see us at Highway 84 West in Gulfway, Texas. And folks, Hoff Powers has been in Central Texas for over 50 years now, and we couldn't have stuck around this long if we were steering you wrong. The granddaddy of all hunting shows returns to Houston. The 2018 Hunters Extravaganza, August 3rd through the 5th at the NRG Center. Meet Duck Dynasty's Willie Robertson and Michael Waddell and T-Bone from Bone Collectors. Bring the kids and see Gator Country's huge live alligators and the best bucks taken in our annual deer competition. Check out the latest gadgets and gear. Buy direct from the manufacturers and save. The 2018 Hunters Extravaganza, August 3rd through the 5th at the NRG Center. Get your tickets now at huntersextravaganza.com. This is David Faherty, and thanks for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Get me drinking that moonshine. Get me higher than the grocery bill. Take my trouble to the high wall. Throw them in the river and get your bill. We've been sniffing that cocaine. Ain't nothing better when the wind cuts cold. Oh, it's a mighty hard living. Cable Smith, welcome everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Tyler Childers, White House Road, the name of that one. Love that jam. And I love being here talking hunting and fishing with you guys and gals. So uh, thanks for dropping in. As We're all set to talk some photography because I truly, well, I don't believe I know for a fact that um, a photo is truly worth a thousand words. And when it comes to the hunting community, uh, that photo is what tells a story more so than anything else in the world. Uh, it's that photo or that video. Um, and so, and I'm not talking, you know, we, we did talk about the grip and grins, whether we should be doing those or not. Uh, we had, uh, Benny O'Brien on from Yeti coolers back. Uh, oh, it's been a couple months, but, and look, I'm all for the grip and grins, to be honest with you. I do think they need to be done tastefully and that you actually need to put a little bit of time and energy into those trophy pictures, just throwing the buck in the, you know, on the tailgate, and snapping a picture, or hey, here's a mess of dead ducks on a tailgate. That doesn't do much for me anymore. Now, when I was younger, um, and we weren't fighting this this constant social media war against anti-hunters, 
yeah, those, those pictures were fine. And that's what we all did. But times have changed. And so uh, we need to adapt with those times. And anyway, joining us now, um, it is my pleasure to welcome uh, Pierre Pins back to the show. We actually taped this interview uh, while on safari in South Africa a couple weeks ago. Uh, but Ozzy, as everyone calls him at the uh, John X camp, is the mastermind behind uh, Got the Shot Productions. And when it comes to telling a story, I have found in my time with Ozzy that uh, nobody that I know does it better when it pertains to the uh, the outdoors. And so, uh, Ozzy, it's it's great to have you back on the show, brother. It's good to be back. It's been a pleasure getting to spend uh, another week here in South Africa with you, basically following following me around filming uh, all of the good and bad things that <laughs> that I've managed to accomplish here. Um, but uh, the videos, the photographs that you take, they they tell a story of what transpired, uh, not just on my trip, but who you know, whoever story you're telling, is that a big part of? Or is that something that you really take pride in? Is piecing it all together and then saying, you know, here's what happened this for this person in this week exactly i think a lot of the clients that come along they they there's so much to take in on the hunt that they don't necessarily have the time to actually take a picture in that and um being essentially the shadow or the observer during a hunt you know you, you kind of see it from a different perspective to what necessarily the ph and the client itself mm-hmm. might be seeing it as and then being able to capture that and then reshare it with the client and then then going it's like oh yes yeah yeah that happened you know because there's there's so much going on at that time that you don't always i think necessarily take in to what your surroundings are oh yeah i'll go back and and look through your photos and there'll be a picture of me doing something I'm like i didn't even remember that but that yeah. sure is an awesome photo yeah um so last time we we visited we talked about how you got into this. You didn't grow up hunting. No. Uh, you got into uh, outdoor videography or, or hunting um, about four years ago, right? Correct. 2015. So about how many safaris would you say you've been a part of now? I'd say probably around the 40, 45 mark. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right on. Right on. And what is your favorite, what is your favorite species to, to film? As far as like, what gets you excited if it said, hey, today we're going after kudu or warthog or whatever? I'd, I'd say my top two would be um, Valrabak hunting up in the mountains, uh-huh. just because I really enjoy the mountains and the challenge of actually finding those. Mm. We and, experienced that. Yes. Like. <laughs> and then the other one would definitely be buffalo hunting, mm. um, especially here on woodlands where it's quite thick and you've got to be wary at absolutely times. so i'd say those are my two favorite uh-huh um let's talk a little bit about your arsenal because I, I think uh, this is a big part of of telling that story is the gear that you use uh so you've got a couple different cameras mm-hmm. uh you've got um a drone i've got pretty much anything everything. <laughs> um it ranges from a gopro to a drone to a handheld cell phone gimbal to uh, you know, a, a broadcast camcorder to stills, and so wide variety. Each has got its own purpose, and you kind of got to just use what works at the moment. Mm-hmm. 
We got some pretty unique uh, footage of the, the volleys using the drone. Indeed. Uh, which I, Carl said he's never seen that on the internet before, so I, I haven't actually looked at the footage yet, but I'm sure it's pretty awesome. Then uh, things like uh, attaching a GoPro to the blood tracking dog, <laughs> which he wasn't, Bongo wasn't very happy about, but uh, I mean, all that kind of stuff goes into, you know, adding different elements to that story. Um, let's talk about still photography, though, because. That's something that I think a lot of people would like to be good at. I know, uh, you know, I would. I brought my camera, my actual yeah. nice camera, but I haven't taken it out of the bag one time on this trip because I'm like, oh, Ozzy's going to do a way, way better <laughs> job than me. Uh, so what are some, some of the key elements to photographing dead animals? Because, I mean, it sounds bad to say that, but that's what we're doing a lot of the time is is uh, taking a picture of an animal that a hunter's harvested. Yeah. I think it's it's... The biggest thing is to always try and clean it up as best as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I, it does bleed out and all of that, so it's it's kind of normal to see blood on it, I suppose. But you just want to give the animal the respect it kind of like deserves, and it's just a very nice way to you know keep that memory. It's like rather just mm. clean it up, put it in a good light, some good sunlight if you can't. You know, like what we had with your Niala, it's in the thick stuff. You know, so it's just getting it in the surrounding that you would generally find it and then just cleaning it up and... Yeah. I go back and I'll look at some of my, my first uh, pictures of, of deer that I've harvested. And there's blood and the tongue's hanging out. Mm. And at the time, I didn't, you know, that's mm. 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. I, I didn't know, didn't really care. Yeah. Now I look at a picture like that, I'm like, golly. Yeah. It's, I look at the pictures I take today versus that, and it's like, you know. And the animal's dead, so yeah. it doesn't, it's, I don't know if it's really a respect thing for me. It's more of if an anti-hunter looks at that. Yeah. For me personally, where I come from, they're going to have less of a problem if it's done respectfully. Yeah. You know, or, or a non-hunter, someone who's just kind of on the fence. They'll be like, oh, that's yeah. really pretty. That's a great picture versus blood and guts type stuff, you know. Well, I think you're correct there. Like, I mean, a lot of people just go, it's like, oh, our hunters are just a gory, bloodthirsty people. And so, yeah, just... We foster that when we put that kind of <laughs> stuff out there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so as far as, like, framing up the animal, I know there's some, like, rules to photography, but rule of thirds or something. Yeah. The, well, for us, it's a little bit different because we do a lot of um, coffee table work in that as well. So, yes, your rule of thirds still apply but um we try and keep a little bit more space all around to accommodate for text or anything that we might need mm. when we for the coffee table book. For the coffee table yeah. book. So generally just for like actual trophy records we'll do a nice close crop, use the rule of thirds, but when we're thinking editorial and that we'll leave a bit more space where needed. Mm-hmm. So we always have a suitable area that can fit text in. Yeah. And Carl's very anal. I mean, it's, so uh, he's the second generation owner of John X Safaris and my PH. Oh, I've spent two weeks with you guys. Every time we are blessed to harvest an animal, it's like uh, he goes into this mode where, okay, he tells the tracker, bring the, he uses a chamois to wipe the blood mm-hmm. up. He's got a gallon of water and starts wiping it up it, it, he has to reposition it reposition it 10 times just to get everything perfect and then he lays down on his stomach and starts taking pictures it's really a sight to see uh, but he you know he wants the other phs that are taking his clients out 
to do the same thing. And exactly. holy moly, Lowy, one of the guys brought in a crooked skyline yesterday, and the <laughs> the ribbing, roasted. yeah, oh, everyone roasting him, yeah. making fun of him, just for you know. So yeah. it's a business thing too, though, yeah, because these these photos are well, it's an image, it's a brand at the mm-hmm. end of the day. So I mean, it's easy to you know if you have consistent images that all you know carry that that cleanliness across then it just helps build the brand to a higher level mm-hmm. instead of just saying oh, well we're kind of not we're not a mickey mouse operation yeah yeah well you look at john x safari's photos and compare it to some of the other photos mm-hmm. out there and it's very clear that that every last detail is taken care of mm-hmm. uh in those trophy photos um when do you use a flash when do you not use a flash um I'd say I'd probably use a flash most of the time uh-huh. in the field, just purely because you always have a bit of harsh shadows coming in during the middle of the day or late afternoon. So it's, I use a flash mainly to just give that extra bit of light in the more shadow areas on, let's say, the face or whatever. So I would say probably use a flash 80% of the time when mm. taking crooked pictures. About how many photos would you say you take to get the one perfect one? Or sometimes you just take it and that's the perfect one. I'd say on average it's probably about 20 pictures that we take of a trophy. Mm-hmm. And we'll probably walk away with one and sometimes there's more pictures. It's, it, I would say it varies from the pH to pH because each pH has their own like way they want to represent a trophy. But I would say probably on average we're looking at like 20 pictures of a trophy. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of these animals that get shot are simply too big to move. You know, like say an eland, for example. Yes. Or even an anyala takes a lot of work. And you're not hauling it out of that thick undergrowth, that you know, like where we yeah. shot ours. Um, if you have the opportunity to use a skyline, is that something that you're going to gravitate towards? We generally use a skyline if we want to accentuate the, the horned part mm-hmm. of an animal. Um, so... Things like kudu or, you know, your dike or anything that has like, you know, you look for a good quality trophy on a horn size. So it's skylined there because generally like the small animals like your steenbuck that we shot earlier this week, you know, if you just have an eye level, the horns kind of disappear among the grass. Mm -hmm. It's not like they have very big horns. So skyline definitely when and where possible. Okay. Um. Are there any other little tips or tricks that you can share with our listeners just to make their their own storytelling uh, come out a little bit better? Just keep taking photos. <laughs> That's what I would say. It's like never stop taking. I mean, everyone's got their own style and, you know, you if you just keep at it, you'll eventually, like, develop something that portrays you. Don't try and – I would always say don't try and copy anyone else. Just it's it's okay to draw – um, inspiration from other mm-hmm. pictures and that, but don't be scared to not try. Yeah. Well, Ozzy, man, it's been a pleasure. I look forward to seeing the entire uh, edited video from our second week together. Yes. And I look forward to doing it again next year. Looking forward to it too. Oh, and also, real quick, tell our listeners where they can find you guys uh, because you actually have a separate page from John X Safari. Correct. So the website is gottheshot.ca.za. And then it's GTS Productions on Instagram and GTS Productions on Facebook. Right on, man. Well, hey, thanks again. It's been a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Looking forward to next year. 
All right, my good buddy Pierre Pins, uh, aka Ozzy from Got the Shot Productions. I'll tell you this: uh, Ozzy is a cameraman, a videographer, but uh, he also does just about anything else that needs to be done on a hunt, from glassing to carrying the animal once it's been downed uh, to last year <laughs> digging my warthog out of the Taj Mahal of warthog dens. Uh, so truly, we've uh, experienced some crazy stuff together, and uh, I do value his friendship. Uh, that segment of the show, by the way, brought to you by John X Safaris. If uh, if you're looking to take that plunge and head to South Africa, shoot me an email at LoneStarOutdoorShow at gmail.com, and I'll get you on the list for the Lone Star Outdoor Show trip to South Africa for 2019. Uh, awesome stuff. Thanks again, Ozzy. Unfortunately... Man, we are out of time. Got to go. Got to get out of here. Uh, thanks to Ozzy, as well as our other guest, Jim Shockey. Always great to have Jim on the show as well. We'll do it again, same time, same place, next week. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making the show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors show. Until then, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Tom Rowe.